Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining with us for this week's podcast. As per usual, before we begin our time together, I just want to take a moment, let you know a few things that are coming up in our community. Today, our pastor of care ministry, Craig Somerville, is continuing our series, Healed by Jesus. And for this year's Lent project, we're partnering with Moviendo Esperanza, an organization that works on the ground in Costa Rica. And Costa Rica is a developing country where over 700,000 people live with a physical disability but have no access to state funding or support. And more than 50% of those with disabilities in Costa Rica live in poverty and have little hope of improving their situation. So the goal of our project, called Moving Hope, is to partner with Moviendo Esperanza and offer mobility and access to those who desperately need it. So for more information on how to get involved, you can visit our website and that will also list the different ways that you can give. Coming up on March 15th, we have a midweek worship service starting at 6.30 p.m. And it's gonna be a time of worship through music, prayer, and discernment as we walk through this time of transition that is ahead of us. And coming up on March 19th, we're having another Newcomer's Lunch, and this is a great opportunity to connect with others that are new to our community, as well as the staff and the leadership at Southview. The event is free, but we do ask that you register on Realm or on our website so that we can make enough food. The best way to know what's going on at Southview is by checking out our weekly viewpoint, and you can find a link to that viewpoint in the episode description of this podcast. Or you can go on Realm and join the new group, Southview Family Updates, and that will make sure you're always getting the weekly viewpoint in your inbox. And if you're new with us here in this digital space, we would love to hear from you. You can find an online connection card at the bottom of that viewpoint, along with a prayer request form so that we can support and join you in prayer. And additionally, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. But now, today, no matter how you're joining with us, may each of our hearts be open and expectant because God is here and Jesus invites us to bring all that we are and all that we're currently carrying to him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let's seek the face of God together. Well, hello, church family. It's good to be together. Whether you're joining us online or you're here in this room, it is good to be together to worship the living God in song and in prayer and as we open his word and then come to the high point of our gathering to the Lord's table where we will invite him to feed us together today. So we are glad uh, you are here. I want to just start with a question uh, today. Uh, Have you ever been in a situation where your commitments have maybe been called into question or maybe an invitation to a greater level of commitment in an area of your life, Uh, maybe at work or at home, uh, in a relationship or a friendship, Uh, maybe on a sports team? So um, I uh, grew up playing soccer. That was my, my sport of choice. And uh, played it most of my life and off and on into my adult life. Uh, I'm not currently playing, but uh, it was the the sport that I grew up with. And when I was in college, uh, I played all through my college years uh, at Bible College, Canadian Bible College in in Regina, Saskatchewan, which is now Ambrose University, uh, for those of you who are maybe familiar with Ambrose. So back in the day, many years ago, 
decades back. I was in college and uh, approaching my final year of Bible college and really wanted to play soccer. I'd been away for a year on my internship, uh, kind of my apprenticeship in ministry, and then came back and, and had to try out for the team because I'd missed a year. So even though I'd played the three years previous uh, in school, had to try out for my final year at, uh, at college. So I went to tryouts and um, was uh, kind of on the bubble. The very last day of tryouts, the coach actually pulled me aside and he said, Craig, I know like you've played before, you've been on the team, but honestly, uh, you're on the bubble. And he said, there's a few reasons why I'm just debating whether or not I should pick you for the team. Uh, one reason is you're in your last year at college, and I know you're going to want to do well, and your, your, your classes will take priority, and just you know, want to make sure that you've got time to give to your studies. Uh, he said, I know you're involved in student leadership. I was on student council that last year, and I was pretty involved in that way. And he said, I know you've got a lot of commitments there, and, and that's going to take time and energy. And he said, I know that you're planning to go into ministry, and so this year in, in college, you'll be interviewing with different churches and districts about jobs and stuff, and, and you'll go, be going through the uh, licensing process, which is another whole piece that you have to study for. So he said, I know you got all these things going on, and he's like, honestly, I'm just not sure where soccer fits into this. And so I was kind of faced with this dilemma. My commitment level was sort of being called into question, Right. And so I said to him, I said, Coach, honestly, I really want to play. Uh, I'm going to do my best to be committed to this team. I'll be at all the practices and games, and I know I've got all, the, all these other things going on, but I'm going to do my best to give everything I can to be a part of this team all in 100%. Thankfully, he chose me, and uh, I was able to play that last year of uh, college soccer and sort of end the career um, in, uh, in my college days and had a great year playing soccer and didn't actually miss a practice or a game the whole year. So was able to prove my commitment. But it kind of was one of those uh, um, events in my life where I was really thinking about this idea of commitments and priorities and when, you know, a time in my life where I was sort of being questioned about my commitment level. And just wondered if maybe you've gone through a time uh, where you've had that experience as well, where somebody maybe has called you to a greater commitment or you've had that called into question. We're going to be looking at a passage today where Jesus kind of calls uh, attention to our commitment to him. And sort of a question I want you to tuck away in the back of your mind as we're going through this passage is, uh, is this question. What greater level of commitment might Jesus be asking from me today? or in this season. We're going to be continuing on in our series um, called Healed by Jesus, and uh, we've been in it for a couple weeks now, and uh, we're going to come to this passage here in Matthew 8. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there to Matthew 8, verses 18 to 22. And before we read it, I'm just going to say, we're going to read this passage in a moment, and you're going to ask the question, where is the healing in this passage? Because there doesn't seem to be uh, an event taking place where Jesus heals somebody. In the last two weeks, we've been looking at physical healings that have been taking place, and our passage is a little different. So you're going to ask the question, I know you will, where's the healing in this passage? And I just want to say, I acknowledge that question, and we're going to come back to it, okay? So uh, let's uh, open God's word and, and hear from him today as we look at Matthew 8, verses 18 to 22. And friends, remember, this is the word of God. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. And then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, 
Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. And now I know you're wondering, where is the healing in this passage? We will get to it, trust me. But let's just pause and pray and invite Jesus to speak to us from his word today. And so Jesus, as we open your word, as we read this story of a scene that took place in your life and ministry here on earth, we know that you desire to speak to us today from it as well. And so Holy Spirit, we invite you to open our ears to hear your word to us today. We invite you to open our hearts to receive your word today. And we invite you to um, soften our will that we would be responsive to you today, that we would consider what obedience might look, to, look like to you in light of your word today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're just going to go through kind of verse by verse through this passage and draw out some observations and ask some questions and then come back to that question of where is the healing in this, in this episode. But let's look at verse 18. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. And I want to just pause there and just kind of recap where we've been through our series so far. So a couple weeks ago, Clyde introduced the series, and he talked about some of the context of where we would find ourselves, how Jesus had just been up on a mountaintop. He preached the Sermon on the Mount, and it was this great instruction about what it looks like to follow him. And at the end of that teaching, it said that the crowds were amazed at his teaching. And Jesus came down the mountain at the end of chapter 7 and into the beginning of chapter 8. He came down from the mountainside, and it said that large crowds gathered around him, and Jesus kind of stepped into sort of the chaos of people's lives, the mess of people's lives, and, and some of the circumstances of people's lives. And so as a result of sort of stepping into the lives of the people and the lives of the crowd, people started coming to Jesus and asking to be healed. So we had the leper who was healed. And then last week, Rick walked us through uh, this scene where the centurion official um, uh, came and asked for healing for his servant and how Jesus healed him. And then after that scene, if we were to keep reading on, it said that Jesus went to Peter's house, one of his disciples, and he healed Peter's mother-in-law who had a fever. And after that, all kinds of crowds of people came to him asking to be healed and for demons to be driven out of them. And, and so there was all this um, miraculous stuff that was taking place. And then we find ourselves here in chapter 8, verse 18. And it says, When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. And it's like this change of scenery. We're going to go to the other side of the lake. This change of scenery is like a change of direction of what's happening in Jesus' ministry here. He's just been involved in lots of healings and dealing with the crowds. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, let's get away from the crowds for a moment or a few moments, and let's cross to the other side of the lake. And often in Jesus' ministry, he would retreat from the crowds and he would spend time with his disciples, usually debriefing what had happened or giving some particular instruction to his disciples. And so this verse gives us a bit of a clue about the tone of what Jesus is, is going to be doing. He's going to be talking specifically to his followers, to his disciples. And he's specifically asking them to get in a boat with him and cross to the other side of the lake. And so we need to keep this in mind that uh, as, we, as we come into this passage, there's a, a shift taking place. This is no longer the ministry to the masses or the crowds, but to the few and to the faithful few who want to follow Jesus. And so let's read on. Verse 19. 
Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And so Jesus, before he can get in the boat with his disciples, is stopped by an individual, a teacher of the law, and some other translations would call him a scribe. And so this teacher of the law, this scribe, says to to Jesus, just wait before you and your disciples go. I want you to know I'll follow you wherever you go. So I want to just talk about this scribe or this teacher of the law for a moment. This person would have been an expert in handling written documents, which was not uh, a trait that was well, uh, it wasn't a skill set that many people had in Jesus' day and age. There wasn't many people who could read and write. And so this teacher of the law had some special status in light of the reality that he'd been trained to read and to write. And in addition to that, not just to read and write, but he could actually interpret scripture and teach scripture. He was a teacher of the law. And so in the religious circles, in the Jewish circles, this person would have had a pretty high status amongst his peers and amongst his community. He could read, he could write, he could teach, he could interpret scripture. Um, He was well-studied, well-educated, and he had sort of the credentials behind his name that brought status and recognition and uh, a sense of prestige. And so it's important for us to know this about this person uh, and he had actually gone through some rabbinical training already. So when he comes to Jesus and says, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go, he has already had an experience with at least one rabbi, maybe a few rabbis who've trained him already. And so this is an interesting statement that this individual is, is communicating to Jesus. I'll follow you wherever you go. This person's already followed other rabbis to get him to where he's at. And so there's a bit of a sense of um, maybe some pride uh, and some desire for further prestige and status and, um, and power and influence that this person has because he's probably been watching Jesus in his interactions with the crowds and all these miracles, these healings that have been taking place, this ministry to the masses, this amazing teaching that Jesus has. And this teacher of the law, this scribe is looking at Jesus and saying, I think I need to get in on that action. I need a little bit of that guy's influence in my life, and maybe I can have some level of, a greater level of prestige and power and influence. And so it might not have been the healthiest of motives that this person approaches Jesus. And we see that in Jesus' response to this teacher of the law. So let's look at what Jesus says to him. It's a very interesting response. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And so this person, this individual says, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus' response is, well, foxes have dens. Foxes have houses. Birds have nests. They have houses. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. I don't have a house. And kind of what he's saying to this individual is, I know you desire a certain level of comfort and prestige and status and recognition in your life, and you need to know that the way of the way of following me, the way of following Jesus, may not be the most comfortable, prestigious lifestyle. It might be very different than what you're anticipating. Jesus didn't have a fancy school that he taught his disciples in. Jesus didn't have credentials that he handed out at the end of their training. And the way of following Jesus might actually involve some suffering and sacrifice and servanthood that he's sort of questioning this individual on. 
And so as we think about this scribe, this teacher of the law, I'm, I would consider, you know, can I relate to this guy in any way? Is there anything in me that desires status, power, recognition, comfort? And Jesus is sort of addressing these issues in this person's life and speaking back to him saying, you need to know what you're really signing up for if, what, if you actually want to sign up for a life with me. As we read on, another individual comes to Jesus, and he's only known by the, the, the term another disciple. So in verse 21, it says, Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And so first we have this teacher of the law, I'll follow you wherever you go. Now we have another disciple or another would-be disciple approaching Jesus, and he says, Lord, first let me go bury my father. So what he's saying is, I want to follow you too, but could you just wait I have some family responsibilities I need to take care of. And look at Jesus' response in verse 22. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead, which seems like a little bit of a harsh response, especially in light of the fact that family obligations in Jewish culture was very important, and death in a family was a very significant time, and family responsibilities were to be taken seriously and not taken lightly. And so this individual has a very legitimate request of Jesus. Could you just wait, uh, because I have some family business I need to attend to. And so Jesus' response does seem a little harsh. Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. We could dive into what this is all um, what Jesus is really saying here. And there's a lot of uh, different theories on why, why he said what he said. But at the heart of it, really, the point that Jesus is trying to make is, he's saying to this person, I appreciate your intent. But if you're going to follow me, you need to put me first. You need to put me above even family obligations and family responsibilities. Jesus is saying, if, if you want to follow me, I need to be the number one priority, the number one commitment in your life. And so he's sort of pushing back to this individual to say, I appreciate your desire, but I'm calling you to a greater level of commitment. I need to be first if you're going to follow me. So a question for us to think about as we look at this would-be disciple, have you ever brought a but first kind of response to Jesus? Jesus, I want to follow you, but could you just, you know, let me deal with this other part of my life first, or could you just wait until I've, you know, dealt with this, or I have a but, you know, but, 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 Jesus, I want to follow you, but. Have you ever brought a but to Jesus? And Jesus' response would be, I appreciate your intent, but I need you to put me first. If you really want to follow me, where am I in the list of your priorities? And so as we look at this passage, um, it's, it kind of raises a question to me. And the question is this, what does it really look like to follow Jesus? So here we have two examples, you know, this one individual who's, I'm willing to follow you wherever you go, and Jesus tells this crazy response about, I'm homeless, and, you know, you got to be prepared for a life that's maybe uncomfortable. You know, how does that translate to our day and age? Or this under, other individual, you know, first let me go and bury my father. Um, you know, how does that translate into our lives? What does it really look like to follow Jesus? And this passage seems to be dancing around this question. This word follow shows up a couple of times. This teacher of the law says, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus responds to the second individual, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. There's this, this whole question around this, uh, you know, what does it look like to follow Jesus? 
So the invitation to follow Jesus comes with a call to greater commitment to Jesus. The word follow, the, the invitation to follow me, Jesus uses it throughout the Gospels and throughout the book of Matthew. There's a number of times where Jesus is inviting people to follow him, and it's usually an and after it, follow me and, or, you know, first do this, then come follow me. There's always sort of a, an addition to the idea of following Jesus. And so I want to consider just a few other examples where this shows up in the book of Matthew. So if you look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, when Jesus first started calling his disciples, in this scene, he's walking by a couple of individuals who are are fishing. They're just involved with the family business of fishing. They're raised to be fishermen. That's what they're doing. They're catching fish. And Jesus walks by and he says, come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. And so when he first called those two disciples, Peter and his brother Andrew, they were being raised to be fishermen. And Jesus is saying, if you follow me, I'll make you into uh, fishers of people not fishers of fish. I'm going to actually change your vocational direction. I'm going to change your sense of purpose and meaning in life. And so the call to follow him required or involved a, a change of, of, uh, of purpose, a change of life direction. And that's uh, one example. Another example in Matthew 19. So in this example in Matthew 19, Jesus is talking to uh, a guy who's labeled as a rich young ruler and this rich young ruler approaches Jesus and asks, you know, what must I do to get eternal life? And they have this whole conversation about keeping the commands. And uh, he's like, I've done all that. I've done all that. And then Jesus says, well, in verse 21, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. And so Jesus' invitation to follow him in that instance, he was asking this individual to go and deal with his material possessions, his wealth, and to give it away. And once he had done that, then come follow me. So there was this sort of greater level of commitment that Jesus was calling these individuals to, right? Fishermen would have a change of direction in their career. This rich young ruler was asked to give his, his wealth away, give it to the poor, and then come follow Jesus. These greater levels of commitment. And then another one in Matthew 16, verse 24, kind of a general statement that Jesus makes to all of his disciples. He said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And so the invitation to follow Jesus there is an invitation to a life of sacrifice and servanthood and surrender and maybe even suffering, this idea of taking up your cross and following Jesus. So what does it look like to follow Jesus? Grant Osborne, who wrote a commentary on Matthew, says this. He says, discipleship is not a casual thing, like joining a club or a sports team. It cannot be an occasional activity, one of many to which we give a bit of allegiance. But to follow Jesus is costly, demanding the surrender of other allegiances and the absolute priority of Jesus in our lives. So what does it look like? to really follow Jesus. It looks like putting Jesus first. It looks like maybe having a change of purpose in life, maybe even a vocational change. It looks like uh, giving away your wealth and, and living more generously. It looks like 
Uh, maybe not pursuing the comfortable path like the teacher of the law in our passage. It looks like putting Jesus first even above family commitments like the other individual in our passage. It looks like a greater level of commitment. It looks like putting Jesus first. It looks like denying yourself and taking up your cross and following Jesus. So again, what would that look like in actual everyday life? So I was thinking about this from my journey and, and my life and uh, just was reminded of a, um, a time in my life where I had uh, an interaction with Jesus that I think relates to what we're talking about here. And so I've got a picture of uh, my daughter, Matea, and uh, she was a cute little baby. This was like 17 years ago. She doesn't look like that now. So, um, so this was Matea at about one and a half. And uh, don't let the cute face fool you, Okay. She's kind of what gave me all this gray hair up here. And uh, the first year and a half or so of her life, my wife Tammy and I, we didn't sleep much. Matea had a hard time sleeping. And uh, so that raised, you know, a lot of stress in, in the family and in the home. And Matea is our second daughter. So we had another child at home, Emma, already. And so we're sort of getting into this whole idea of what family life looks like and what parenthood looks like and what it looks like to have little kids and what it looks like to have a baby who doesn't sleep. I don't know if anybody can relate to any of that. One day I was spending time in the Word, spending time with Jesus, and I came to a passage in Mark chapter 10. And it was like the words just popped out at me that day. And, uh, and it was like, it was just right what I needed at that time as a, as a new dad again, and uh, not sleeping much, and um, complaining more than I should because my wife probably bore more of the brunt of it than I did. But as I was talking to Jesus that day and looking at Mark chapter 10, it's the story where James and John approach Jesus and they say, Jesus, would you let us sit at your right and your left? And there's this whole debate about, you know, who's the greatest in the kingdom and, and this whole idea of, you know, we want to be great. Can you make us great? And, and all this, right? And so Jesus says to them, um, whoever wants to be first must be, actually, let me just backtrack a bit. He says in verse 43, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And as I read that passage and began to journal and just talk to Jesus about it, it was like he was speaking to me. Craig, if you want to be a good dad, if you want to be a good husband, if you want to be a good pastor, if you want to be a good person, if you want to be a good follower of Jesus, what it actually looks like is laying down your life and serving the people around you. And so as I, as I was reflecting on this as a new dad, you know, what would that look like as a new dad to, to sort of pick up my cross and follow Jesus? What would it look like to serve my family? What would it look like to serve my wife and, and my kids at that time in my life? And I'm not saying I've got it mastered, but this is kind of one of those everyday real life lessons or applications of what it looks like to follow Jesus. Jesus says in that passage in Mark 10, even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, a foreshadow to the cross that would represent Jesus' self-sacrificing love, his self-giving love, his, the reality that he laid down his life for us because he loves us so much. And that's the kind of life we are to live as followers of Jesus. I will say this as a bit of an aside. 
through that whole journey, I became a bit of a baby whisperer. And my family actually has sort of given me this title of being a bit of a baby whisperer. So if you're here and you have a baby that you have, are having troubles with, and if you're walking out in the cardo on a weekend, feel free to flag me down and I will hold your baby and I will whisper gently and we'll be able to calm them down by the power of Jesus, probably, not me. But anyways, just a little aside. So the call to follow Jesus is not just, a simp- not just to have a simple interest in him, but to give yourself fully to him, to live like him, to be like him, to embrace the way of the cross in the power of the Spirit. And as we think about the cross, like I said already, it is a picture of Jesus' uh, sacrificial love, his self-giving love. It's a picture of his desire to put, uh, set aside his own wants, his own desires, and to put others first, right? To lay down his life for the sake of others. It's a picture of humility, of him humbling himself and being obedient to the will of the Father. And as you think about the cross, I'm reminded of the scene in the garden before Jesus was arrested where he prayed to his heavenly Father, not my will, but yours be done. That's the way of the cross. And so Jesus is looking for followers who are willing to give greater levels of commitment to him to pick up their cross, to really embrace the way of the cross and to follow him in that. So I want to come back to this question of where is the healing in this passage? Because I said we would come back to that. So let's, let's go there now. We're in a series called Healed by Jesus, and we're just looking at a passage where Jesus is talking to his disciples and sort of calling them to greater levels of commitment. He's calling us to greater levels of commitment. So what does that have to do with healing? Well, it's not found exactly in our passage, but I think if we were to read on, as we have been doing and looking at other uh, passages here in Matthew, if we read on in Matthew 16, so we read uh, 16 verse 24, and if you were to read on, it gives a bit of a clue to where the healing is found. So verse 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And then he says this, For whoever wants to save their life on this earth will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. And I think those words give us a bit of a clue to where the healing is found in our passage. If we really want to experience full healing in Christ, if we really want to experience a full life in Christ, it requires us to give ourselves fully to him. And the more we give ourselves to Jesus, the more he's able to heal us completely. The more we surrender to him, the more he's able to abide in us and reside in us and, and give us the fullness of life that he desires to give. So as we pick up our cross and follow him, if we're willing to lose our life for his sake, we will find fullness of life in Jesus. And it actually reminds me of the song that we sung earlier, that Brett and the worship team led us in, I Surrender All. And so I'm actually going to ask Brett to come back out and just sing those words over us. And I want to give us two questions to kind of prayerfully reflect on as Brett sings. And so I'll put those two questions on the screen, and they're, the, they're these. What greater level of commitment is Jesus asking from you today? As you think about some of the examples that we've looked at here in the Gospel of Matthew, maybe there's some career things that are happening, some vocational things that are happening, and and Jesus is inviting a greater degree of purpose and meaning to be found in him. 
As you think about uh, the rich young ruler, maybe it's looking at your, your possessions, your wealth, everything that Jesus has blessed you with, and it's, you know, what would it look like to live more generously? Maybe it's like the, the scribe or the teacher of the law who kind of wants power and prestige and comfort, and Jesus is, is inviting you to maybe to give up some things in your life, to, to surrender some things, and to make some sacrifices that might be uncomfortable. Or maybe like the other individual who came and said, first let me go and bury my father. You know, maybe Jesus is just saying, I appreciate your intent and your desire to follow me, but what I really need is for you to put me first. And so what greater level of commitment is Jesus asking from you today? And then the second question is, in what areas of your life could you surrender more fully to Jesus? And so invite Jesus by his Holy Spirit to speak to you on these questions and consider them as Brett leads us in this song once again. to the table 
And the table is a reminder to us that this this call to greater commitment, this call to surrender is not a call to try harder. It's really a call of response to what Jesus has done for us. The table reminds us of the way of the cross. The table reminds us of the depth of Jesus' love for us. And as we come to the table, we're reminded that this bread represents Jesus' body, which was broken for you and me. And as we come to the table, we're reminded that this cup represents Jesus' blood, which was poured out for you and for me for forgiveness of sin and welcome into the family of God. And so the table reminds us of Jesus' great love for us. And at the table, we invite the Father to feed us. So let's pray. Father God, as we consider your word today, as we consider our response today, we recognize that we cannot live lives of surrender on our own. We need you to feed us and strengthen us and sustain us. And so as we come to the table, Father, we do just that. We ask you to strengthen us, to nourish us and feed our bodies with spiritual food so that we can follow you, Jesus, more faithfully. We can surrender more deeply. We can commit more greatly to you because you're feeding us as we come to your table. And so feed us, we pray. Amen. And so I invite you to take uh, the cup that you were given when you came in today, and if you haven't done so already, to peel back that first layer and to hold that wafer. And as you hold it, friends, let's remember that this represents Jesus' body broken for you and for me. Let's take together. you can peel back the next layer for the cup. And when you have that ready, just hold that cup. And friends, remember this cup represents Jesus' blood, which was poured out for you and for me for forgiveness of sin, for a welcome into his family, the family of God. Let's take together. So Jesus, again, we just thank you for your great love. We thank you that you are willing to lay down your life so that we could have fullness of life in you. And I pray by your Holy Spirit that you would lead each of us in what it looks like to live a life of surrender to you, a life of commitment to you, so that you can fill us freely with the life that is to be found in you through the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand and uh, we'll have a word of benediction and just know that this time in here might be done, but we have time to visit and greet one another. And so uh, feel free to do that. If you're a newcomer here, we'd love to see you at the the Newcomer Center and uh, introduce ourselves there. But as you go from here, may you go living lives of complete surrender to Jesus, knowing that it's not by your strength or your might, but by the power of the Holy Spirit in you. So may Jesus fill you with his spirit. May you know his love and power in your life, and may you go in the goodness and grace of the Father. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You are dismissed.